Hi, I'm Andy Bannister, and this is Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. And I'm joined by my co-host, Christy Mayer. We are here in sort of sunny Cornwall at uh, the Creation Fest uh, festival outside the doors of where we're recording the podcast today. There are 2,000 people or more camped in the fields. Uh, kind of amazing things happening. And uh, But more amazing than that, we are joined on Pep Talk today by an amazing guest, dear friend, uh, David Bennett. And uh, well, all the way to us originally from Australia, but now from Oxford. Um, David, your uh, book came out a few months ago, War of Loves, yes. an unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus. That is a story right there in the book title. So um, what is, in a nutshell, the, the, the story of the book? So the story of the book... Or the story of you. Well, you know, I have a kind of a story that deserves a good subtitle. Um, right. <laughs> very much the story of someone who was very interested in spiritual questions growing up, but because of my sexuality, which I discovered around you know, the age of 11 mm. um, in a an agnostic atheist home but going to a Christian school uh, was a point of separation for me between God and myself Christianity and uh, yeah and myself and I, I really came to perceive Christianity as the source of homophobia uh, in society and and that then led me to become a gay activist mm. in, when I was about 18, 19 at university I got really involved in student politics um, which you know I was the kind of person that would see a Christian poster up on a billboard um, you know the kind of pale blue Christian mm -hmm. union poster and I just <laughs> slab a gay marriage march poster on the top you know that was kind of I was that kind of angry and angsty about Christian faith and then uh, I ended up having a debate with my uncle in 2008 about whether there was an absolute truth and he received a word that I'd be saved in three months time mm. that mm. was in uh, Christmas time 2008 and then three months later I was in a pub with a young filmmaker uh, who was uh, did completely broke every stereotype of what I thought a Christian was mm. or should be and uh, and so she continued she just offered me prayer and in that prayer I encountered Jesus for the first time and my life was turned 180 degrees upside down from that point and so it was just amazing to see that it was exactly three months time mm. that that actually fulfilled itself and I found out about my uncle's word and then it was a long process for me to come to where I am now mm. um, where I've concluded that you know God's calling on my life is a default kind of celibacy mm. which is actually the calling for every Christian mm. but there is a kind of unique experience for the same-sex attracted or gay person in that, mm. I think. And so I wrote the book very much to encapsulate all that hangs on that story. Mm. <laughs> There's so much that I think God has revealed in it that I felt it was really something that needed to become a book. And yeah, so that's, that's it. That's a war of loves. That's incredible. What a story. Mm. Praise God. Yeah. I am... Um, one of the things that I was at a conference last week actually and somebody came up to me after they asked me a question on homosexuality and the church what's what is it that changed for you in terms of going from the that angry you know mm -hmm. plastering over a Christian Union posters mm -hmm. to then saying actually no mm. I I've had this amazing amazing word what changed for you in how you viewed Jesus and Christianity was that anger still there afterwards mm. and 
just particularly with thinking about the celibacy aspect of that, what this person said to me was, are we putting an intolerable burden upon mm. folks, which even though the default for celibacy is for all of us, and for me as a single Christian um, heterosexual woman, I'm defaulting to celibacy, of course. Mm-hmm. But he was like, but that's not the same. You could get married at some point. Right. Mm. How, do you, how do you approach that? I think that's a really fantastic question. For me, what I'm not saying is that every gay person that becomes a Christian will simply be celibate and that's it. As a kind of uh, legalistic rule that's like a special one for gay people you know Mm. i think what i'm saying is you need to come and encounter the love of god have your desires wrapped around that love um let god into that and actually give him your homosexuality Mm. because i think homosexuality like anything can become an idol Mm. Um, romantic love can become an idol so we have to understand as christians that um sex and romance is actually only a contingent good for our flourishing it's not a necessary good um the necessary good we need in our life is the love of god and so that sets us free from the pressure to have to be with someone and then in some gay people's lives like my dear friend sean doherty i have dear friends all across the u.s they actually get given the grace to be with an opposite sex partner Mm. and so that allows them to live within the remit of what scripture uh lays out for people um and so yeah for me that's i'm not saying you know i'm not saying this is um you know just a simple you must be celibate but i think what i love is god is reclaiming something about the holiness of his church through the question of homosexuality Mm. um and i don't think it's unfair for gay people to be celibate in fact i think it's prophetic Mm. i think it's actually a calling for us to we can't hide in idolatry because Mm. of homosexual Mm. our sexual desires and so that's actually in a weird way a blessing Mm. (laughs) not a curse and so i think that's something that we really need to understand the upside down kingdom. On the surface, it might look like that's what's being said, mm. but when it's really the true gospel of grace, that's not what's being said. Mm. Um, and that's what I had to discover myself with Jesus real time in all sorts of contexts, meeting all sorts of Christians. And he led me to that revelation. Mm-hmm. That it's it's not obedience by law, but obedience by faith. Right. Mm. And that's a huge, there's a huge difference. I would I would actually agree that obedience by law does does kill mm. and paul says that this the letter of the law kills but the spirit gives life, yeah. gives life. so we have to understand that as christians in every area including mm. this mm. Right. i think what's um what i love about that uh, approach um there david i think i said this to you at one point in the conversation i think what well, having read a lot of books around this this issue from certainly from you know, your perspective people like sam albury and and others mm. and also from from folks that perhaps the more i don't what a better word, liberal end, just take a different perspective. Mm. What I've hugely valued about, about your books and, and uh, your book and Sam's and others is Jesus comes out so so mm. strongly. Whereas I sometimes read the other perspective and I come away thinking about the author. And I read your book and I come mm. away thinking about Jesus, which I think is so crucial if we can orientate uh. things on the on, on him. It doesn't mean all the problems disappear overnight, but at least it gets that that perspective. Mm. I think there's a stage for people who are same-sex attracted or gay where they want to say my experience is absolute and until the church listens to me I'm not doing anything with Jesus and I think that's actually a terrible place to be I I was in that place Mm. for many years 
but you're basically trapped by your sexual identity. It becomes ultimate, and if it's not satisfied, then you're not interested in God or anything. Mm. So it's actually a way of rejecting God sometimes, mm. even though on the surface you can make it look Christian and you know, like heterosexual people can do with their own marriages. So yeah. for me, it's all the same problem. Mm. <laughs> it just has a slightly different you know, bend to it. Mm. Yeah. It's one of the things you mentioned earlier on is um, the upside down kingdom. Mm. And I imagine for many who are listening to this podcast, they're thinking, oh gosh, this is really wonderful for those who are able to articulate this upside down kingdom, you know, eloquently and persuasively. But for me, when I think of um, gay friends that I know or neighbours, I'm almost just too afraid of getting it wrong. There's mm. this big kind of, oh gosh, I can't touch LGBTQIA. Mm questions because I don't know how and what if I get it wrong the risk is too great how would you help us um, better communicate that upside down kingdom to those to us as Christians Mm. how would you encourage us to do that look I think that if you don't know about this topic and you really suck at knowing about it maybe don't talk about it maybe just approach LGBTQI people as if they were like anyone else And if the topic of sexuality comes up, just say, look, I don't really know much about this. I'm actually learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teach me, you know, like, have this kind of humble approach to people. And you don't have to agree with everything. It's not like listening to someone and learning about their experience is going to make you a heretic (laughs) or, like, make you depart from orthodoxy. In fact, (laughs) that's the way that we truly build an orthodox witness is by listening to people in their perspectives but being able to integrate that with our truth in Jesus so I actually think that's a vital skill anyway just in all sorts of areas not just sexuality but I would recommend I think you really do need to read I think you really do need to listen to some content like get updated get you know there's Mark Yarhouse a wonderful psychologist and all sorts of work on this who's trustworthy Christian source Um, there's obviously all the books that are out there uh, and read scripture and try to take off some of the back, back lenses of what you think scripture says and really study it. Like, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, you know, people who have sex with the same sex will not enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't say they're going to go to hell. It doesn't say all these kinds of things. It's talking about entering into the kingdom, like a rich person or, a, you know, so there's this blockage. There's a something that that person has to overcome to enter instead of all gay people are going to hell, which is what, you know, kind of traditional Christianity has almost said at certain points. Mm. And so learning to actually let the biblical text correct you. The other thing I'd say is it's not a discipleship, uh, sorry, it's not an evangelistic issue. It's a discipleship Mm. issue. So a person doesn't have to come to a point of agreeing with you uh, on the the question of sexuality. You know, it's not going to happen overnight Mm. for a lot of people. You need to introduce them to Jesus and you need to have meals with them, learn how to say, well, I might disagree on that, but let's be friends and just Mm. build friendships with people that really don't agree with you Mm. in all sorts of areas. And that will make you a better Christian, a Christian that can love and your capacity to love will grow. Um, So I think it's actually learning about how to love. Mm. (laughs) I think that's the essential skill that needs to be built with the LGBTQI community. Oh, that's fantastic advice. I think I think another thing you hinted at there, um, David, that for me strongly came out of your your book, and as and I've noticed in in the stories of others whose whose journeys have been sort of you know had some similarities to your own, is that um, you know when someone gives their life to Christ and that process of discipleship begins, 
I do wonder sometimes if the church expects people to transform entirely in every area of their life overnight. Whereas actually, for me, I think the gospel is clear that Christ begins a work in you, and that work then carries on to the, the day of Christ Jesus, it says in Philippians, actually. And so how do we as Christians build church communities where we can help people through that process of discipleship, but walk with them at the speed that Jesus is walking? So in your case, I think you said in the book, it wasn't like you became a Christian, and then the very next morning you work and went, okay, that's goodbye to the, to the gay lifestyle. It, no. took a, it, took a, it took a while, and it took Christians encouraging you on that journey. Are there, are there things that we need to be thinking about as, as churches and Christian communities to help people who, who come to Christ from those backgrounds while they go through that process of figuring out now what this, this, new, this new creation life looks like? Totally. I, I think a churches should be primed to help people enter into new creation life, and that involves a bar of discipleship for the members that already are in the church yeah. not in a legalistic condemning way or you have to be this kind of moral citizen or you're not worthy of being part of the church which I think is a big mistake we've made in the past with moral issues like divorce and things like that but it needs to be a place where truth is held and the standard of the law isn't compromised but the way that you come to fulfill God's standard is understood really well because the New Testament is very clear that we don't we don't obey God through our own efforts and we don't obey God through some kind of um, yeah legalistic framework. We come to please God through faith. So you know, Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Mm. And so, actually, what all people need, gay people included, is to learn how to have faith and express that faith through love towards God. That's the vital skill of discipleship, which is actually worship. It's learning to be a worshiper. And I think for me, the thing that brought breakthrough in my life to the place of a stable obedience that I'm now in, even though you know we all have our hiccups, we're still struggling, we're still going on the road, the thing that really helped me was having the Holy Spirit. Mm. That when I wanted to have a boyfriend or start a relationship, I knew the Holy Spirit so deeply. My community had taught me how to do that, that essential skill of faith, working through love. And so when I was with a boyfriend, you know, after becoming a Christian, the Holy Spirit would be quenched. Mm. So I knew that that was, this is getting between me and the Holy Spirit. And for me, that was number one. If something got between me and the Holy Spirit, it's out of my life. Goodbye. You know, I cut it off. So actually, it's not just I read the Bible and I have this great exegetical. That's important. But it's also real time with the Holy Spirit, learning to live with him. You've tasted and something better. putting God yeah. first, tasting something better. Yeah, why would the gay community or anyone for that matter give up their sexuality if they haven't experienced something more transcendent than it? Mm. No. And how would you kind of... Because that's uh, oh, experiencing the spirit is just so profoundly personal and beautiful. How would we go about sharing this love of Christ with LGBTQIA communities? What would be um, what would be really great kind of? I think a, sh- a short thing is we've said as the church that you need to behave before you believe and before you belong. So I think as church we have to ch- shift that to come belong come learn how to believe and then you'll behave you know you'll find the the way to live it out so that's i think it's just essential difference in our thinking that we need to learn um as christians mm-hmm. it's not about meeting all the criteria as you walk mm. into the door it's kind of no. come and be part of this community absolutely and i think there is a difference 
in that when you when I first became celibate, that was a very sensitive time for me because if anyone had any idolatry of romantic love, it would really anger me. Mm. It's like, how dare you, as a church leader, just joke about that, joke about your marriage as if it's like the most important thing. You know, how dare you? Like, it really hurt me when I discovered that kind of romantic idolatry in the church, and it was treated so trivially, like mm. this is just normal. Mm. And yet, I'd been taken to a point of discipleship that was so profound that I had to discover mm. to give up my sexuality. And so, when heterosexual people in the church treat that question so trivially, and there's this kind of cult of marriage, mm. that really is damaging for me. I think that's probably the most damaging thing in the church for p- people like myself. And then you get the other side, which is like, well, let's just change our view on sexuality. Mm. That's equally as damaging because it's allowing that kind of thing to happen. So, yeah, for me that was really important. But when I, now, like I've walked along the journey, I feel less susceptible to that. I feel mm. like that's okay. People are going to do that. Whatever, that's all right. But I think when I first became celibate and I first in my life, we need to be aware of the, of the church, of the challenge mm. of that, giving up your sexuality mm. and being willing to live for Jesus and not be married. Right. Mm. I think that's the same for all sorts of people, but I think there's an intensity yeah. for gay people that needs to be understood experientially. Well, it's interesting, all sorts of people, I was going to say, as you were, as you were talking there, David, I think the other thing that, that resonates for me is I think this also, that, that cult of marriage that I think the church has clearly at times, I think, drifted into, isn't just a hindrance for, for reaching LGBTQI folks. I think also uh, the whole issue of singleness, which we haven't got time to go into in detail, but I think is related and having a, a close family member who, you know, who felt it's been a real struggle now late into their 40s, I think to, you know, uh, wrestle the same issue of feeling almost like a second-class citizen within the church, because actually, you know, the, 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 the dream standard, the gold standard is, you know, married with 2.4 kids. And uh, rather than that, as you've repeatedly stressed in the in the interview, that it's rather about being centered around Christ and, and not building mm. these idols, idolatries around family or sexuality. Um, yeah, I think the church has some thinking and some repentance to do here, I suspect. I think so. I think that we need to be able to s- learn to celebrate marriage alongside celibacy. But the problem is there isn't a tradition that we have that celebrates celibacy in the kind of protestant church really mm. it was seen as suspicious as monastic yeah. as to be rejected so we have to address that balance and that's going to require the whole church together to get on board um mm. and and to, to to break their idols that's a pretty mm. big call isn't it <laughs> for yeah. all of us right. and we all struggle with idols so there also needs to be grace mm. in that struggle but i really think there is a strong call from god that we have to create communities um, and life that would make it actually the church a place of flourishing for single people mm. actually mm. so let's stop thinking about it abstractly let's think about it practically okay if I wasn't married you know what what would make the church a more welcoming place it's a quite simple question right. <laughs> for people that are single how would mm. you know even in the ministry I work for when we go away on retreats now before we never had anything we would just talk about having a family and being mm. an itinerant minister but now we have two groups for singles and married to go and think about how can we flourish well whilst serving in ministry so I think mm. yeah it's just that subtle shift that can make a world of difference mm. yeah 
David, this has been an absolutely fascinating um, conversation. Such a privilege. Thanks for uh, thanks, thanks for, for having taking, me, guys. Thanks for taking the time. And mm. what's interesting, you know, here we are at Creation Fest, and you've yes. got some sessions coming up. What I'm hugely encouraged about is to see the huge numbers of people coming to, to your sessions. Christopher yeah. Ewan's here Absolutely. as well, talking similar things. And so I finally, it's, it's exciting to see the church waking up. But we need to think about this, you know, biblically, pastorally, evangelistically. So, David, thank you for thank helping you, us. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Uh, nice think these things through. Much. Such a pleasure. And uh, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.